This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Wyoming discussing the only person to have been executed in Wyoming since the 1960s. Then we'll discuss an alien abduction. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the cowboy state. A prisoner's last meal is a customary ritual preceding execution. Over the course of history, the tradition has evolved. The Puritans of Massachusetts once held grand feasts for the condemned, believing it emulated the Last Supper of Christ, representing a communal atonement for the community and the prisoner. In the United States, most states give the meal a day or two before execution. The inmate can select what their last meal will be, but alcohol and tobacco are usually denied. Sure, there are some other conditions. For example, in Florida, the food must be purchased locally and the cost is limited to $40. In Oklahoma, the cost is $25. In Louisiana, the prison warden traditionally joins the prisoner for their special meal. In September of 2011, the state of Texas abolished all special meal requests. Their last meal is whatever is being served in the cafeteria on the day of their execution. A lot of us have a morbid curiosity as to what prisoners choose for their last meal. After all, it's the last thing they have any control over, in most cases at least. According to an article published by BBC News in 2011, the ritual of a last meal offers Americans poignant human connection to the people they have decided should die for their crimes. The same article explained that the ritual of the last meal captures the public's attention because the activity of sitting down for dinner is one that Americans with no experience of prison life can relate to. What do you think? Okay, so before you start, can I just say $23? Uh, yeah, and Texas doesn't even have one. $40? I know. I feel like we eat more than that when we go out to eat. Me at Dizzy's? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's the wrong thing to focus on, I suppose, but... That seems awfully low. Yeah, no, it does. It really does. But they really have to put a cap on it because, I mean, yeah. people would be ordering all kinds of shit and then taking one bite of it and then, you know. Yeah, and the reason that Texas abolished it was because one of the prisoners ordered a lot of really fancy expensive things and then he refused to eat anything. And they were like, he's wasting our money because he can, and then they just got rid of it, which I'm like, well, maybe this one dude does, but <laughs> just I don't know. So the case I'm covering today is one that a listener named Mandy recommended a while back. She said the entire story about this man was unbelievable, so I had to dig into it. And there are a lot of names in it, and there's a mark and a mic, so it gets confusing, so stop me if you need me to explain anything. Mark Allen Hopkinson was born on October 8, 1949. He was originally from Bridger Valley, which is in southwest Wyoming. But when he was in high school, he accepted a football scholarship to the University of Arizona. 
He was known by others as charismatic, athletic, and good-looking. He was able to easily charm people, but he had a short temper and a vindictive nature. His athletic career never took off because while in college, he was convicted on charges of delivering controlled substances in 1971. He was sent to federal prison for this for a short time, and then afterwards returned to his hometown in Wyoming in 1975. And from here, it's one big downward spiral. Soon after he returned to Bridger Valley, Mark got himself into two legal disputes. So the first one was between two families, the Hopkinsons and the Reutzes, over water rights. A year prior, Mark's dad, Joe Hopkinson, began doing work for a trailer park and had to cover a ditch that carried water to the Reutzes. They ended up filing a lawsuit against Joe, and they won. After Mark returned home, he took his dad's place in managing the grounds of the trailer park, and he also wanted to have the judgment on Joe reversed on appeal. So he takes over his dad's business. He doesn't like how that deal went down, or he doesn't like how that lawsuit went down, and he's like, I'm going to repeal this. So a year later, Mark visited the Reutzes and asked if they could work something out, but they were like, no, we're not doing it. He gave them a vague threat, and he said that he could make the groundwork for the park in such a way that it would be a great inconvenience to them. A month later, on May 6, 1976, Mark went to the Reutzes' home and attacked 55-year-old Frank Reutz. Shortly after he began beating him up, Mark's dad Joe showed up with a hammer. They continued to beat him up. Frank did survive, and he talked to the county attorney about pressing charges. Unfortunately for the Reutzes, the county attorney had already been hired by Mark to appeal the original judgment, so since this was a conflict of interest, he refused to file charges in the manner. While all of this was going on, Mark was dealing with another legal dispute, so a second one. In 1975, Joe, his dad, had approached the Fort Bridger Sewer and Water Board, a client of Vincent Vehar, who was also an attorney for the Reutzes, to see if he could get his proposed trailer court annexed to the sewer district. He wanted to connect to the district for a $100 initial hookup fee, which was a typical fee, before any official action could be taken. The board was presented with a petition signed by 95% of the district's membership seeking to raise the fee. The board conducted several public meetings in order to determine what it should charge to hook up the trailer court. And then after extensive negotiations between Mark's attorney and the district's attorney, a contract was entered into on March 13, 1976, providing for the annexation of the Hopkinson property to the district and requiring the payment of a hookup fee of 300 per trailer instead of 100. And I know this is kind of boring, but it builds up to something larger, basically. Like setting You're up- setting the, setting the tone how bad blood brews, basically. So, once the hookup had been completed, Mark announced that it was his intention not to pay the contract price. He's like, no, I'm not doing the $300, I'm doing the $100. And then, of course, this led to the board trying to force Mark to pay. And then in return, Mark started threatening the board members. (laughs) On January 28th, 1977, Vincent Vehar filed a suit on behalf of the board. 
The suit sought to force Mark to pay the money due under the contract and also requested $50,000 in exemplary damages because of all of the threats he made against some of the board members. So this is just like a town mess, basically. You can't threaten people. Yeah, a lot of threatening, a lot of back and forth. It's a mess. During 1976, Mark first hired Jeff Green as a carpenter to work on various projects. And then Jeff introduced Mark to his friends, Mike Hickey, a young man with a drinking problem and a criminal history of his own. That's what his profile said. That's hot. And Jamie Heisel. Jamie had been arrested in June of 1976 for possession of marijuana. A 15-year-old girl who spent a night at Jamie's ended up telling authorities about it in the first place. So he decided he was going to murder her. What? Yeah. Jamie's buddy Mike picked Kelly Wickheis up and took her to a remote spot in the country to meet Jamie. So Jamie, of course, was not meeting her. So then... Mike hit her on the head with a rock to kill her. And then he allegedly cut out her privates. What? Yeah, it it spirals. Cut out According, her It just said private, so I'm not sure if it means that or breasts. I don't know. So he claims that he did this to take to Jamie of proof he did the job. I'm like... You couldn't have taken anything else back. Like, a lock of hair? I mean, exactly. Like, what? So then he buried the remains. And it was too easy for Mark to convince these three men to help him with his dirty work. In late 1976, Mark had been asking around for someone to do a job for him, quote unquote. He asked a guy named Harold James Taylor to murder Vincent Vehar. You know, the attorney that was involved yeah. in both of his lawsuits. He said he would pay him $600. To kill somebody? Yes. Harold no, ended up backing out. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Absolutely not. A year later, Mark talked to a guy named Kenny Near, who used to be the president of the sewer board. He said he'd give him $2,000 if he would give a testimony that the sewer board was acting in a vindictive manner toward him and his father. But Kenny didn't take the offer. I'm like, you're you're going to give him two grand to lie about stuff, but you wanted to give this other guy $600 to kill someone? Ugh, yeah, anyway. No. So Mark turned to his new friends, Jeff and Mike, for ideas on how to get rid of Vincent. On April 4th, 1977, Jeff Green was caught with a bomb in his possession when he was stopped in Utah for speeding while driving Mark's car. A bomb? A bomb. He was in the middle of another job for Mark. He was heading to Arizona. To kill someone else? Yes. Jesus. And it's all over petty things. Nothing is, not that it, there's ever a good over. reason, but you know what I mean? It's just like, really, you're pissed off at this lawyer for a lawsuit right. that you... Uh, anyway, so he was headed to Arizona to plant a bomb in a man's car by the name of George Mariscal. After Jeff was put in jail for speeding, Mark was so pissed about this, he refused to discuss any future plans for Vincent. He's like, okay, Jeff can't be trusted. He's <laughs> going to get caught. Whatever. We can't, we can't turn to him. So instead, he turned to Mike Hickey. 
about ways to kill Vincent. He upped his price and said he would give him two grand plus expenses and also help him in covering up the murder of Kelly, the 15-year-old girl he had killed. This was enough to convince Mike. So Mark and Mike decided that the best way to kill Vincent was to toss a bomb through the basement window of his house. Toss a bomb? Yeah. Into his mm-hmm. window. Yep. Like a Molotov cocktail, basically. Yeah, basically, but a, yeah. But a bomb. Mm-hmm. Mark received notice during the first week in August that he would be deposed by Vincent in connection with the sewer board's lawsuit on August 9th, 1977. On Saturday, August 6th, Mark saw Mike. Yeah, it's very confusing. Mark is the head honcho hitman wannabe. Mike is his lackey, basically. So Mark (laughs) saw – that's the easiest way to describe it. Mark saw Mike at 6 p.m. and ordered him to bomb Vincent's home that night. So Mike went to a local bar and stayed until around 1.30. Then he went out to have a quick romp with a woman he met at the bar. This is true, yes. Then he returned to the bar an hour later. He was super drunk and decided to drive home. He went home and discovered his girlfriend, who lived with him, wasn't home. Yes, he has a girlfriend. He had her. Yes. So since she's not home, he decided to go bomb Vincent's home. Well, I mean, what else was he going to do? Is this just like, go to bed? This is. No. It's so wild, that it, but it's true. So Vincent lived in Evanston, which was around 30 minutes away. I'm surprised he didn't crash into a tree on his drive there. But he went there, he looked around, and then threw the bomb in the basement window and took off. And at approximately 3.35 a.m. Not funny. No, it's not funny, but it's just like you're getting drunk, you're having an affair, you're going back home, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go... It is bizarre. She's not home, so I'll yeah. just go ahead and go do mm-hmm. this job real quick. It's mm. So at 3.35 a.m., the home exploded. This completely destroyed the house and killed Vincent, his wife, Beverly, and his son, John. It's like, did they even at least oh. once think about other people living in the house? Oh, my they, God. It's, they didn't even care. Oh, and then his drive back is not normal either. He picked up a hitchhiker. I swear to God, this guy. And around 4.30, he found his girlfriend and they went home together. That was his night. Yeah. If he (laughs) were to get arrested, which I don't know what happens in your story, and was on the stand and being questioned... Who would believe this? People would pro- probably think he was lying just because it's so weird. 100%. There's too much. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's just pulling like shit out of a hat. Oh, and then I picked up a hitchhiker. I got a blowjob outside old Betty's stop and shop bar. Exactly. It's just, it's so weird. Very strange. So after the bombing, Mark decided that he and Mike shouldn't be seen together. And Mark never ended up paying Mike the 2000 bucks. Jamie Heisel, the one who ordered Mike to kill Kelly, was questioned by the police about several larcenies. So nothing about the murder, just about other stuff he was into, because they were just always getting into stuff. He felt the heat, and for leverage, 
He told them about Kelly's murder. He, of course, decided to implicate Mike, though, not himself. He told them about the small burglaries that Mike and Jeff were involved in. So police tracked Mike down and asked him about the connection with the crimes. But he denied any involvement, but he was charged with Kelly's murder. So Mark knew everything was unraveling. And since he had ordered Mike to kill Vincent, he knew he needed to help Mike out at this point so he wouldn't rat him out. So Right. He has something on him. Exactly. He's like, okay, I need to figure out how to get him out of this. So he came up with a plan for them, along with Jeff Green, to implicate Jamie Heisel. And surprisingly, this worked. The charges against Mike Hickey were dropped. But Mike did end up going to prison on burglary charges in the spring of 1978. See, it's like they're getting actually put into prison and jail for burglaries and larcenies, and they're out murdering people, and they're not getting caught. It's just – and they're not smart. They're messy. I just don't get it. So Jamie was arrested for Kelly's murder, and during the trial in July of 1978, Jeff Green – broke down and came clean to authorities. He told them about Mark and Mike's plan to bomb Vincent's home and about how they pinned Kelly's murder on Jamie. He came clean about everything, but he also told them that he was scared of Mark and that he would be in serious trouble for ratting him out. So because of Jeff's testimony, the charges against Jamie were dropped. Once Mark found out, He called Jeff's sister and told her that he would get him. So the threats have started. In March of 1979, Mark and Mike were tried in the U.S. District Court in Cheyenne on federal charges, and Jeff Green ended up testifying against them. As a result of the trial, Mark was convicted and sentenced to the Federal Minimum Security Facility in California. In prison, Mark made a lot of phone calls. Over the course of 51 days, he made 114 calls. I thought you just got one call a day. I guess not. I don't even make that many calls. (laughs) He called a former roommate named Hap Russell and asked him to visit him in prison. During the visit, they conspired a fake testimony. Mark also called a woman named Jennifer and begged her to send a photo of Jeff Green to Hap. Basically... He wanted to have another hit. He wanted Hap to know what Jeff looked like. But she said no. And then Hap paid her a visit. So she ended up sending one cut from a high school yearbook. So now Hap has a photo of Jeff. And he contacts another guy named John Susada with a shady reputation. I know. a, A million people are involved in this case. So then he gives him several thousands of dollars. Okay. Early in May of 1979, Mark also started calling an ex-girlfriend named Christy King. During these calls, he got her to agree to hide some money in her bank account for him. Then, on May 16th, Mark called Jennifer to ask where Jeff Green was. She said he was in Iowa attending a funeral, so he kept calling her until finally Jeff returned to Wyoming on the 17th. On the 18th, Jeff Green disappeared in the company of two men, and on May 20th, Jeff Green's mutilated body was found just two days before the opening of the grand jury's investigation into the bombing on Vincent's house. 
and this is really awful, but he also received 140 cigarette burns before fatally being shot. He was oh my god, 140. So they were basically wanting him to suffer for ratting them out. Mutilated, burned, and then shot. I know. These people are just ruthless. On May 21st, $15,000 turned up in Christy King's bank account. When Mark called Christy again, she demanded to know what was going on. At this point, she was just like, yeah, sure. You can put some money in my account and I'll kind of like a no questions, no answers. But now she was like, no, I want to know. That's a lot of money. Well, he told her to send Scott, which is his brother, Three cashier's checks for five grand. Then... 1500 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Then later that month, Mike Hickey was called to testify before the grand jury. And then at this point, he broke down and confessed to killing Kelly and for the bombing. He made a plea bargain to turn state's evidence against Mark in the Vincent case in return for a 21-year sentence for second-degree murder of Kelly. So that's what happened, and he has since then been released. So finally, Mark was indicted for the bombing and the murder of Jeff Green and was brought to trial on September 3rd, 1979. The jury found him guilty on six charges, and the district court sentenced Mark to two terms of seven and one-half to ten years imprisonment to be served consecutively for the conspiracy convictions three consecutive terms of life imprisonment for the for the Vehar killings and to put him to death for the murder of Jeff Green. He maintained his innocence the entire time, of course, and never wavered from that, but no one ever believed him. He was executed by lethal injection at the Wyoming State Penitentiary on January 22, 1992. His last meal was pizza and a fruit plate shared with his family. He also chose to not allow witnesses at his execution. I didn't realize you had a choice. I didn't But I guess so. His execution was the 159th carried out in the U.S. since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. And he was the first in the state of Wyoming since the 1965 execution of Andrew Pixley. There have been no executions since. And as of March 2022, there are no defendants who are sentenced to death in Wyoming. And that's it. Oof. It's interesting, too, because it's kind of similar to, well, it's not, but you know what I mean, to Manson, where he didn't actually kill someone with his own hands, but he instructed all these other people to do things for him. So ultimately, they found him responsible, you know. I just have a big problem with that. Because if I tell you, oh my God, this girl I work with is a psychopath and I can't stand her. And you take it upon yourself. But I guess that's different because yeah, well, he was literally telling people he to was bri- do it. Yeah, he was bribing yeah. them, giving them money. But it is, yeah, it's interesting. I what I said. <laughs> well, it's, well, no, it's interesting to think about because you're like, well, he didn't, he's being sentenced to death. There's a I lot mean, I get on. like conspiracy to commit yeah. murder, but for actual murder. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't murder anyone. Right. He was sentenced to death because of Jeff Green's murder. And he was in prison at the time Jeff Green was murdered. But they had all the evidence that he ordered people to kill Jeff Green. But it's still interesting that the people who actually murder the person get less time. 
physically. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Tell us what you think, guys. I don't. That's... I don't know. Something to think about, I guess. I'm just gonna say I would not get a fruit plate as part of my last meal. I thought you said fruit cake. I did it first. I did. Oh, okay. I was like, did it, is my white claw hitting? <laughs> no, no. I was like, not a fruit cake. <laughs> I kind of like yeah. fruit cake, but I wouldn't. I, that's not my choice. I was like, this is a wild case. So thanks for the recommendation. I've never heard of this case. I couldn't find any podcasts. And I Googled how to pronounce all these people's names. And since <laughs> there are no podcasts, I can't, I don't know if I said them right. I, I tried. Okay. I tried. I'm sorry. There are worse flaws to have, Lacey. I tried. Than mispronunciation. <laughs> if y'all only knew, it's just, whew. I never knew how oh, many difficult boy. names there were to say. Well, it's because you, you and I both have like basic white girl names. Yeah. Is it my turn? Yes, it's your turn. Tell me about something different than this, I guess. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> this is something not your else. Case. Yes. Uh, so we've covered a lot of cases with very interesting, you know, backstories or happenings going on, mm -hmm. but. This one really fascinated me. I found it last night. I had already done all my notes for a totally different case. And when I found this one, I was like, I have, I have to just start over. Oh my gosh. I can't believe and you I know, did that. I know it's going to be right up your alley. Oh gosh. So buckle up okay. for this alien oh abduction my story. Gosh. Dun, dun, dun. Have you done another alien before? I, Maybe. Have I? I don't know. Have you? I, don't I know, know you're like super spooked by them. Yeah, aliens creep me out. Not that I think that version of aliens is real, but it still freaks me you out. I don't know. Right. That's just, I've always been terrified since I was a kid. Hold all your questions for the end. I guess that's one of my, we were just talking <laughs> about um, irrational fears. My I don't fear feel like that's irrational. Is the, we'll, we'll get into the that. gray man with the big eye alien. We'll get into that. If you've ever been abducted, send us an email. <laughs> All right. Okay. Carl Higdon claimed to be abducted by aliens on October 25th, 1974, while he was hunting in the Medicine Bow National Forest. Carl was 40 years old and he drilled oil. So early that morning, he left the house that he shared with his wife, Marjorie, and headed to pick up his crew. But they were all sick that day. And so Carl was like, fuck it. I'm taking off too. And he decides to go elk hunting. So he goes home, grabs a rifle, heads toward McCarty Canyon. He comes upon another car that's kind of, I guess, broken down on the side of the road. There are some hunters. So he stops and chats with them. And these men tell Carl, there's better hunting in the Medicine Bow National Forest. So that's where he goes. So along the way, he runs into a game warden and stops and chats with him for a minute. Eventually, Carl walks off to a clearing and sees some elk. He takes aim at one of them. He fires his gun, but no sound is made. The bullet moves slowly through the air and then drops to the ground. That's not how bullets work, by the way. So he's very confused and he senses a man kind of coming up behind him mm -hmm. 
and he turns around and sees a six foot tall bow-legged man with hair that stood straight up two pieces were longer than the other and they appeared to be antennas he had no chin and small eyes small eyes oh no and it looked like he was wearing a black wetsuit with a belt on that had a star on it he had no hands he had no hands just they looked like rods in their place he asked carl if he was hungry carl said yes so he gives him a pack of pills that he floats over to him through the air. Carl did as he was told. He says it's like he had no reasoning, like no self-control, and he eats one of the pills. The man then asked Carl if he wanted to go with him, and he agreed. So they get into this clear cube. The elk he had seen in the clearing were also in the cube, but they seemed almost drugged, like they were kind of lethargic and laying around. Carl was strapped to a chair. He can now see the earth below him, his truck, and he's getting higher and higher. Two more of these men appear. How did he know they were men? I mean, maybe they had a bulge in their <laughs> wetsuit. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no. I mean, their antenna were masculine. Oh, boy. So they put this helmet type thing on his head and there are some wires coming out of it. And then suddenly everything disappears and Carl sees a super bright light, then a tower. And he sees what appears to be people underneath this tower. The men float over to Carl and take him down a long hallway. They check him over give him a little exam and tell him, nah, you're not what we're looking for. Oh my gosh, the rejection. <laughs> we'll take you back. Oh Lord. This is what would happen to me, Stop. by the way. The rejection that I have felt in oh, the 42 years, God. I would be rejected by these six foot tall alien men also. Ugh. So anyways, he sees a bright light again and then a man named Alzo One comes in. He tells Carl, the fish from Earth, he tells Carl, we use the animals and fish from Earth to make our food, which comes in pill form, which is what he had taken. There are oceans here on our planet, but our oceans are full of dead fish. Ugh. Oh, and they were 163,000 light years from Earth. And those black suits, they are to protect their delicate skin from the Earth's sun. Hmm. So suddenly Carl is floating towards the ground and then he hits. Confused, he gets up and starts walking when he sees a sign that reads North Boundary Lincoln Forest. And he has no fucking idea where he's at. He doesn't know where he's been or what the fuck just happened. It's getting dark when he finally comes upon his truck. He can't remember how to drive though. He does have a two-way radio because this is his work truck and it takes him a minute to remember how to use the two-way radio, but he figures it out. Eventually he makes a call, but he doesn't know where he is and he's telling whoever is on the other end of the line about the men in black 
not Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, but <laughs> these alien men in black. The man on the other end happens to be someone that he works with. He contacts the police. They contact the game warden who remembered seeing Carl. So they knew the general area they should be looking at. So just a few hours later, they find him. He was rambling. He was kind of freaking out. I mean, my dude was just abducted and returned by aliens. So uh, yeah. it's very traumatic. Yeah. So his truck is parked in a like mud hole, basically, when they find it. But there are no tire tracks around. It looks like it was just set down in the middle mm -hmm. of this big mud pit. So they take him to the hospital with everything that he's telling the doctor about the abduction, the pill he took and some aliens and traveling all these light years away. The doctor's like, we need to get a drug test on him because it sounds like he's taking a hit of acid and he's freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And they also have to turn the lights down because he's so sensitive to the light all of a sudden, like his mm -hmm. eyes are watering and like he keeps covering his face up. So the tests come back negative for drugs and wow. he is diagnosed with amnesic shock because he cannot remember his name he can't remember his wife or very much else so they have him make a list of what he does remember and he draws them a picture of the men oh my gosh is and this i have on the all internet? these pictures huh is this on the internet the picture i have all these i've saved all of them and i'm gonna send them to you okay there's I'm a book Oh, okay. I'm interested this in is, seeing it. Yes. Because to be honest, that I don't love the description. Well, I mean, I think it's of not a cartoon. About I know. I'm trying to make this. <laughs> I wanted it to be scarier than that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Little eyes. They need sorry. big eyes. Okay. Continue. So he told his story to the media, doctors, and psychologists. At one point, Carl is put under hypnosis to try to remember everything that happened. And the doctor that put him under believes everything that he says. What? Yes. Further medical tests revealed that the scarring that was on his lungs that he had from, I guess, previous injuries or illness was healed and no longer there. Oh. oh. And he no longer got kidney stones. Oh, God. This alone oh. would convince me to hop on board this magic cube. Let me just tell you. Okay, I did Google the pictures, and some drawings are totally ridiculous, but one drawing is really creepy. It, well, I don't even know what to say about it. I don't even. I don't they took even his know. kidney stones away. I would go put this magic hat on and oh eat one of those God. fish pills. So Carl's story is very hard to prove, obviously. It was very publicized after the event, and his wife went on to write a book about it. The description so she of believed these aliens. Him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the description of the aliens does match a character from Star Trek. Oh, God. And the size of the cube was also brought up. Carl said it was roughly seven by seven, which is too small to hold him, his kidney stones, oh, five elk, God. and two aliens. So. Something else that people had found very odd was he had spoken to his wife previously about what he would do if he ever met an alien. Uh-huh. Is that weird, though? I feel like we talk about that, haven't we? I've never personally discussed that 
but I will. Okay, I would well, freak out in any way well, possible. I'm asking you now, what would you ask an alien if you were abducted? Are you going to kill me? <laughs> That's it. I mean, are they all knowing? I guess I never really looked at aliens like they were some sort of horrible. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're a worse version of humans where they're kind, they're just like below average intelligence. What if, what if we're aliens? I just never have thought of them as being like all knowing beings. They just seem sticky and like they smell like taco meat. Ugh, ew. God. <laughs> and I don't. I don't know. They seem like they want to do weird ass experiments yeah, on us. That like they want to be in your on, butt a lot, probably. Yeah, they border on torture. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, never mind. I Second thought, I'm just going to keep my kidneys down. So, this isn't the only supposed alien abduction that has taken place in Medicine Bow National Forest. 72 year old Charles, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. And since you've taken up all of our bad pronunciations that we were allotted per episode. <laughs> I'm just going to say Charles G. Okay. He disappeared on a hunting trip with his family in October of 2006. They set up camp, split up to hunt. Charles got lost, but was able to get back to camp with the help of a logger. They hunted the next day. Charles got lost again, but this time he never came back. Mm. There was no sign of him. Searchers were called in, a snowstorm came, halted the search, and to this day, nothing belonging to him has ever been found. Wow. And also, 44-year-old Mark S. <laughs> also disappeared in October of 2019. So are you a pattern? Yeah, October. They were all three. These men were in October. Mm -hmm. So this Mark guy was also headed out to hunt. He was last seen at a come and go around 5.30 a.m. He texted his girlfriend that morning, but that was the last correspondence anyone had with him. He was reported missing the next day. Search party called in. Weather turns to shit. But nothing is found besides his truck. So both of these men hmm. are, neither one of their bodies have ever been found and they're both unsolved. Oh, so well, that is creepy. Very strange. Hmm. Just saying. So anyways, the name of this book is called Alien Abduction of the Wyoming Hunter, First Person Story of Carl Higdon, October 25th, 1974. Yes, that is the entire title. And it is on Amazon. Wow. So there's also a show on Apple TV called Missing 411, The UFO Connection. Oh, gosh. I figure this was right up your alley. So I'm not going to. Well, that might be creepy. I don't know. I, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I watched it. I'm not going to spoil oh, it for you. Oh, did you, you but like I did it? Have, I had a hard time falling asleep last night. I'm just saying. <sighs> well, then I don't need to watch it. That would scare me. But here's the thing. You can't hide from an alien. I know. That's why I was afraid of them as, kid, as a kid. You can't. Ugh. They can just get you they with their just, rays of light. Just, yeah. It's like Samantha, Mulder's sister. And X Files. Just, <laughs> yeah. She well, just I mean, went right out the window. You can't, they're not like vampires. You have to invite in. Yeah, they just intrude. They're home intruders. They're not like boogeymen who come out on certain days or on Halloween. They're just always there waiting. Did you ever see that movie, uh, Fire in the Sky? No, never even heard of it. What? No. Who's I, in it? Oh my God. DB Sweeney, who I think is so hot. Mm mm. 
this is before your time. It came out like in the early 90s, so it's kind of old, but it terrifies me. No, it's I the story know. of Travis Walton, which I fully believe, by the way, he was one of the five loggers who were driving home one night and they see a light in the sky. So they stop and Travis gets out and walks towards it and it sucks him up Ugh. into it. And then they show the aliens doing all of these experiments and shit on him. It is horrifying. Oh my gosh. Don't sleep on this movie. I'm serious. Okay. It sounds well, really stupid. Maybe I'll link it up in the show notes. But it's scary. Yeah, alien stuff freaks also, me out. I mean, some parts of this is extremely triggering to P.S. Like when they're dragging him down the hallway, he's like trying to reach and grab and like stop himself, you know, while they're mm -hmm. dragging him. And you see like children's toys and a, a child's shoe Ew. and... Yeah. Well, yeah, so that's this pretty is a, This isn't for kiddos. <laughs> Anyways. Wow. Also, that's a lot to think about. The first alien abduction that was widely known is Betty and Barney Hill. Was that New New Hampshire? Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. I also looked up some a little bit of statistics about UFOs <laughs> and alien abductions cuz you know I love a statistic. Yeah, tell us. The age demographic is usually under 40. Really? I would have guessed. I don't know. I don't know what I So guessed. I'm safe. You are not. <laughs> well, that one guy was 70. Well, I don't think he was abducted by aliens. I think he got lost. He already got lost once. I don't know. Anyways, because most of the experiments that take place during these abductions reportedly have to do with reproductive stuff oh well one man claimed he was rejected because he had had a vasectomy so guys if you're listening i mean if you're listening and you're looking for your sign to get snipped here it is but they abducted him anyway right like but then they took him back okay. once they realized yeah, that his yeah. new new was cut oh my gosh yeah anyways so that's all folks that's that, all I, that, I think what is the most unrealistic part for me is the belt with a star on it i just really feel like that's a cartoon I mean, I don't, you think he, why would, if you're wearing a wetsuit, why would you wear a belt? But it wasn't a wetsuit. It just looked like when it was like a solid black suit. I don't know. Maybe it had powers. Let me tell you. Are you a non-believer? <gasps> <laughs> I mean. Oh, you got your front tooth fixed. I did. Thanks for <laughs> noticing. Yes, I got my front tooth back. I have a tooth again. Um, I don't believe in this type of thing. I believe in alien abduction. Yeah, I believe in life on other planets, but maybe like I don't know, like alien slugs or something. Like I don't know that I believe in walking, talking things. I want to believe. I got into a discussion about this topic with a woman that I work with oh today. Boy. Today, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because because they always ask me at work, like, what, "What are you talking about this week? What are you covering?" And I'm always like, "This woman got her tits cut oh, off," and they're yeah. like, "What?" So today I was like, aliens. So then they were real interested. Oh my gosh. And basically she thinks I'm crazy that I would believe in aliens <laughs> or anything cryptid related. I don't think that's crazy. I just, 
I don't know. I I have not had any weird things happen to me, so I'm just skeptical. She's like, why do you believe? Have you ever seen one? Do you know how ridiculous it sounds to believe in something that allegedly lives in the sky and comes down and scoops people up? I'm like, interesting. I'm so glad you brought up how ridiculous this sounds. Well, I mean, sometimes- Have you ever seen- an angel or God, like I'm not doubting their existence personally, but this is me talking to her and I'm like, yeah, but you could see how an agnostic person or an atheist could say the same thing about you. It's literally, you believe in something that lives in the sky mm-hmm. that books were written about Yeah, that I mean, you've never seen. I'm not judging anybody so, for believing in it. No, I get that. I just am like, I don't know. Sometimes, though, I'm like, what if this is because I love the show Fringe? If there's an alternate, like, this is a slippery slope. I'm terrified of the galaxy and thinking about the universe because it's scary and it's humongous. What if there's another Earth, like a a flip, and there's humans over there, too, and they think that we're the aliens? I don't know. Man, this is – we are spiraling. Great big universe out there. (sighs) I need a roundtable discussion. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I I don't think we are alone, per se. I really hope you don't get abducted tonight. Well, now I'm going to have a nightmare about it. <laughs> Ugh. My windows are painted like shut, mani- so it'll be difficult. I feel like we're manifesting. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, anyway. Okay. I'll stop talking. Go. We have a new patron this week. Yay! Jessica L. Very cool. Thank you, Jessica. Another Sounds like an 80s baby like us. Yes. I'm Potentially, yeah. Oh, and Kim S. bought us a couple of cocktails. <gasps> we'll have to you should have those. get some when the next time we see each other. We're Zooming again, obviously, because there's – last week there's an ice storm. This week there's a rainstorm. Arkansas is a mess. Oh, and – And it sucks to drive in the pouring nasty it does. rain and I get it. Dark. Totally. And Selena from last week is from Illinois. So, Selena, I'm going to get your stickers out. Jessica, if you want to send me your address, I'll get your stickers out. We'll just send some stickers. But that's that's all my stuff. That's it. You don't have anything? What's going on? Uh, I got my tooth fixed. It's nice. I see that. Stop touching it. It's going to fall off. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It probably will soon enough again, but I'll just keep – it only took 30 minutes to get fixed, so I, I can live with it as long as my dentist isn't on vacation. That's nice. It, that was quick. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, Valentine's Day that's is coming up. around – Next That's Tuesday, coming up. Yeah. Wednesday. Do you and Sam have any big plans? No, we don't really get – we don't really do much for that. I don't know. Uh, we might go out to eat. That's plans. Maybe. I don't know. It's on a Tuesday, and I don't really like doing stuff on a Tuesday. You know, I binge eat Thursday through Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) It was on a Thursday, though. Well, it's like I exclusively eat and drink. (laughs) No, I'm just (laughs) – but I'm like, oh, man, do I have to do this again on a Tuesday? I don't know. What about you? Doing anything with Max? He always takes me to dinner, so Hmm. I'm sure we'll go somewhere. And he always likes to pick, so – it will be Mexican. I have zero doubts. So, well, that sounds good. It, it'll be fun. Where are we nice. next week? 
Massachusetts, aren't we? Yes. And that's the last state in that's this the last season. State. That is yeah. so wild. It's so weird that it's Massachusetts. I don't even know. And it always seems to be up east yeah. or back east. Well, it's because there's so many little ones, I feel like. And we kind of bounce all over. Yeah. So so ooh. we have to record our Patreon next week, too. Yes. What are we going to do? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know. know. Uh, we'll figure it out, though, and we'll give you something good. You told me a topic the other day. Oh, man. And I don't remember what it is. Maybe I'll scroll through the text. I don't remember. And I was like, oh, my God, that would be really cool. I don't know that you text me. I think maybe we were in person. Oh, I don't no. Know. Then it's gone forever. I'll think on it. Well, uh, until next week. Bye. Bye.